0: This is the Ontario Family Law Podcast, dealing with issues related to marriage, separation, divorce, and even some child welfare issues. It is a companion to the book, The Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available on Amazon or by calling 416-446-5847. My name is John Schumann. I'm a family lawyer, mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer, and I head the family law group at Debbie Smith-Frank LLP. Today on the podcast... Are there alternatives to going to court to resolve issues related to separation and divorce? There was a time when most people learned their marriage was over when their spouse served them with papers from divorce court. The only way people resolved the issues arising from the breakdown of their marriage was in court with bitter attacks, vicious arguments, and large legal bills that are often associated with court proceedings. However, many people felt that fighting it out in court was not for everyone and the fight itself was very bad for the kids. Still very bad for the kids. Now there is a range of ways to resolve the issues that arise from separation, be they parenting issues, support issues, property issues, or many of the other legal issues faced by separating spouses. Court is just one of these options, and it is only truly necessary in the most difficult family law cases. Separating couples may still need help working out the issues between them, and they may still need some structure to move their matters forward. How much help and how much structure they need determines where they fall in the range of options for resolving the issues arising from the breakdown of their marriage. At the not much help, not much structure end of the range, there is the kitchen and table negotiation, where the former partners work it out between themselves. At the other end is court, which can be necessary when one or both former partners are acting very unreasonably, usually as a result of mental illness, substance abuse, propensity towards violence, or other similar problems. In the middle are negotiations with lawyers, mediation, mediation arbitration, and collaborative practice. When a couple separates on amicable terms without much bitterness and with a true desire to work things out in a sensible manner, they're often able to work things out on their own by sitting down and having a negotiation between them. This does not mean that they do not need lawyers. Both parties still need lawyers for a few reasons. First, each partner needs to know how the law applies to his or her situation. Almost nobody, who is not a family law lawyer, knows this. Speaking to a lawyer lets each side know the range of acceptable results. This helps ensure that neither party gets a bad deal. It also makes sure that neither former partner has buyer's remorse later. That remorse can lead to some nasty arguments cropping up that take the parties into the fight that they were initially hoping to avoid. Each former partner must have his or her own lawyer. They cannot share a lawyer to save costs. The concept of independent legal advice is that each side gets confidential advice based on the information he or she gives to a lawyer in a relationship that is covered by solicitor-client privilege. A lawyer can tell a person how to get the best deal in circumstances. A lawyer cannot tell both sides how to get the best deal possible for each of them, especially when the interests of the parties contradict. Another reason parties need lawyers is because it is a requirement to have an enforceable agreement in Ontario. When a separated couple works out the issues between them, they usually want that to be for all time. They do not want to go back and fight over and over and over again. In order for a court to give any weight to an agreement, which means in order for the agreement to stand up, both parties have to understand it. Unless the parties are family lawyers, they probably do not understand the intricacies of family law that apply to their situation, or the situation that they are trying to deal with in their separation agreement. Courts do not give much, if any, weight to agreements if both sides have not had independent legal advice. That means the parties could end up fighting over the issue again and again and again. Lawyers do other things to help parties ensure that they have a valid separation agreement or settlement. To have a valid agreement, the parties must have exchanged full financial disclosure. Lawyers know what that is and how to do it. For an agreement to be valid, it must not violate the law of contract or be negotiated in an unfair way. Lawyers make sure their agreements do not have those problems. Separated parties can still negotiate the terms of their agreement themselves once they know what the reasonable terms are in their situation. That usually means seeing their respective lawyers before negotiating, sometimes during negotiation, and seeing their lawyers again at the end to make sure that everything is done right. If parties need help understanding the law along the way, or need help negotiating, they can have their negotiation with their lawyers present. Lawyers are professional negotiators, and they understand the law and what the appropriate results will be. Often lawyers agree on what the acceptable settlement range is, which can save a lot of time and effort negotiating over things that should not be in an agreement. Lawyers can make sure the whole process, all the way along, is legal and free from coercion or other problems. The negotiation can take place between lawyers directly or in one room with both lawyers and clients present. This meeting, involving everyone, is often called a four-way meeting. Those meetings are very productive in resolving matters if the parties are willing and able to work things out without needing a third party to give them direction on how their negotiations should go. Where parties need more direction for their negotiations, or where they do not see eye-to-eye in issues, they might want to consider mediation. Mediation is a process where another third party, usually a family law lawyer or a child mental health professional, helps the parties work out the issues between them. It is true that the parties usually have to pay for that additional professional in addition to their own lawyers. So there is some additional cost to that, but it's still far less than going to court. The mediator can be useful for a few reasons. First, it's the mediator's job to look at both sides, not just one party's side, and come up with solutions. Those solutions can be outside of the box or something that the parties or the lawyers have not considered because they only saw their side of the situation. Another thing a mediator can do is provide an impartial viewpoint on the issues. Each party probably trusts their own lawyer, but it is rare in family law situations for a spouse to trust their former spouse's lawyer. This can cause a spouse to reject a proposal made by their former spouse or their former spouse's lawyer out of hand without giving it proper consideration. A mediator can point out what options require proper consideration and because it comes from an impartial professional that both parties trust, both parties are often more willing to hear things from the mediator. Mediation can be very successful in resolving family law matters, and most parties who go to mediation resolve all the matters between them. There are times when former spouses have a fundamental disagreement about a fact, or a series of facts, or more rarely how the law applies to facts in their situation. When this occurs, They cannot reach an agreement through negotiation or mediation. They need someone to determine what the truth is. The most expeditious way to do this is through arbitration. Arbitration is a process where the parties select a third party, usually a senior family law lawyer, to resolve the issues between them by deciding it, and their decision is binding. In Ontario, a family arbitrator's decision is binding in the same way that a family law judge's decision is binding. It is the final say on the issue, subject only to the rights of appeal. Although the former spouses have to pay for their arbitrator, using arbitration is still almost always faster and less expensive than going to court. The reason for this is that both parties agree to the arbitrator, and they also agree to the arbitration process. The arbitration process can be very different from the court process. The court process is designed to have all sorts of safeguards because it is a process that one party can drag the other party into without getting their permission first. In arbitration, the parties get to choose how the arbitrator will decide the issue between them. That can involve having a full out trial, just like in court. Or, it can involve having a more simple process where the arbitrator decides everything based just on writing. Sometimes the arbitrator can decide everything just based on what the emails say between the parties. The important point is the parties have to agree on the process they want to use and how streamlined they want it to be. Once they decide on that process, they have to live by the results. By choosing a streamlined process, the parties can save a lot of time and a lot of expense because they can eliminate a lot of the steps that are present in court and a lot of the time that is associated with waiting for their matter to be heard in court or that is associated with the structure that is associated with the court process. Another big advantage to the arbitration process is the parties get to pick their judge. You don't get to do that if you're going to court. You get whatever judge is sitting on the day that you show up. That judge may have values that are very different from your family. The judge may come from a completely different background from your family and may not understand what is important in your family. That judge applies his or her own values, even if those values are very different from the values that both the spouses agree on, the spouses are still bound by the judge's decision. Separated spouses can agree to use an arbitrator that shares both their values. And as long as the arbitrator makes the decision in accordance with the law of Ontario and uses a process that treats both parties equally and fairly, the arbitrator's decision will have the same weight as that of a judge. That is true even when the arbitration process goes much faster and costs much less than going to court. A hybrid option is mediation-arbitration. In mediation-arbitration, the same person acts as a mediator trying to mediate the issues between the parties, and if they cannot come to a settlement, then the mediator becomes the arbitrator and decides the issues for the parties. The decision is just as binding as other forms of arbitration. However, In coming to the arbitration decision, the mediator cannot rely on anything that was said or done during the mediation phase. This may make it sound like the mediation phase is pointless, but it is not. The mediator has a little bit more authority because they're then coming in to act as an arbitrator. And the parties may think that they know what the mediator will do at the arbitration phase. Keep in mind though, that during the mediation phase, the mediator's role is to settle the issues between the parties. In the arbitration phase, the arbitrator's role is to decide the issues in accordance with the law of Ontario. That can result in a different result than what was discussed during the mediation phase. This can be a very effective way for parties who have difficulty seeing eye to eye to come to a resolution of the matters between them while avoiding some of the expense, time, and acrimony associated with court. Another alternative is collaborative practice. Collaborative practice is an entirely different way of looking at the issues between the parties. It's a negotiation style, but it's a negotiation style that is very different from the traditional style like that you see when you're buying a car. It's not a style where one party comes in high and the other one comes in low. Rather, it is a brainstorming session. The parties sit down, throw out all the possible ideas that could resolve the issues between them, and then they discuss them. The lawyers do not act in their traditional advocacy role. Rather, they act as facilitators for discussion. They help the parties consider each other's options. That can include helping their own client understand the other spouse's proposal, perhaps even promoting that proposal to their own client. In order for this process to work, the parties start out by agreeing that they will not go to court. No matter what happens, they will continue in the collaborative process until the end and resolve the issues between them. If either of them backs out of the collaborative process, then both of them have to start over from scratch, using new lawyers and new documents and not relying on anything they discussed on in the collaborative meetings. This requirement enables the parties to speak freely during the collaborative meetings without any fear that anything they say will show up in court documents later. It also makes it very expensive to go to court, even more so than usual. That can be a big incentive for the parties to stick with the negotiations and not back out of them. As the name implies, parties in a collaborative process have to want to collaborate. The process does not work if one party is out to get the others, or is dishonest, or is trying to hide things. The process will break down if one of the parties is trying to do those things. But, where the parties do want to collaborate, and they do want to resolve things in a happy, amicable basis, They can do so in the collaborative process. They can come up with solutions that particularly well suit their family and out of the box solutions. This process is particularly good at achieving resolutions that benefit the children the most. The last option is court. Court is by far the most emotionally and financially draining option. Court is an adversarial process, which means a fundamental part of the whole way things work is that the parties attack each other before a judge. It often results in hurt feelings and bitter emotions, some of which the parties cannot help but bring home to their children. Numerous studies have shown that it is the fight, not the divorce, that harms children. Since court is the only option into which one party can drag another without consent, It has a lot of safeguards. Court has strict procedural rules, and those rules can make things much more complicated, much more time consuming, and much more costly. I may be making it sound like I would never go to court, and that's not the case. I go to court a lot. You have to go to court if your former spouse is being unreasonable or is just not listening to you. You also have to go to court when your spouse is being uncooperative and won't do what they're supposed to do. Only court has coercive power to make orders that force people to do something against their will. And only court has the ability to make restraining orders or orders requiring the police to help protect you or your children. When at least one party is being unreasonable or is affected by mental health or substance abuse issues or is dangerous, court is probably your only option. If you are not in one of those situations, you may want to consider one of the alternatives. They are all cheaper, and they all give you a better opportunity to maintain a relationship with your former spouse. That can be important if you're going to co-parent with them, so that you can both attend your children's graduation and wedding, and so that you can avoid the long-term psychological damage for you and your children that can be the result of a long, bitter fight. How you choose to resolve the issues arising from your separation can be one of the most important decisions you make in your life. Watch for more Ontario family law podcasts dealing with issues related to marriage, separation, divorce, and some child welfare issues. My name is John Schumann. I am a family law lawyer in Toronto. You can reach me at www.devrylaw.ca, www.devrylaw.ca, or you can call me at 416-446-5847. Thanks for listening. We will talk again soon.